Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and I'm so glad to be sharing good news with you as it pertains to the legal front. Now, you've heard this story, and you know that uh, the good news has been, you know, delivered as far as the outcome goes. If you recall, uh, Coach Joe Kennedy, who's the high school football coach in Bremerton, Washington, his case went to the Supreme Court, he won, and then he's been reinstated, and you've probably heard all of that. But, I, I, you know, there's always the little niggly details that go into the, you know, the, the, the legal side of the equation. As our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom are always telling us. When they take on a case, and they have 400, or excuse me, 4,600 affiliate attorneys and paralegals, law clerks working, who literally are working pro bono. In other words, they're working without pay. Um, what happens in a case like that is they will, they'll do all the due diligence, they'll defend a case as best they can, take it through whatever appellate process it goes through, and then, at the end of the day, then and only then do they try to get basically damages. It it sounds like such a... (laughs) Sounds like such a damaging word, but I know when Stephanie Cover and I talk about this, when we talk about personal injury law cases, oftentimes people will have a, a personal injury claim, and maybe they got involved in a car accident, or maybe there was a slip and fall. You heard Stephanie talk recently about how common it is for people to be bit by dogs, and how there's a whole separate protocol. If you are bit by a dog, you have to call the police file a police report. I mean, if you want to get any kind of uh, satisfaction, if you will, uh, from your case, any kind of financial relief, that's the process you have to go through. And that will then enact a portion of your homeowner's policy. I, I had no idea to the last time we had this conversation. All the legal things that happen behind the scenes. And your attorney is doing all this without taking a retainer in many cases. Um, I've talked to too many people recently who've said, yeah, I had a legal issue. And I wanted to do something about it, but the attorney wanted a $10,000 retainer or the attorney wanted a $20,000 retainer. And then they said they could guarantee that they could make my case, you know, either if it was a defense thing, they'd go away. Or if it was a, you know, whatever they needed to get pushed through, they got pushed through. And I thought to myself, wait, it seems to me that the credible Christian attorneys that I know when there has been some wrong done to a brother or sister in Christ will say, hey, look, I'll take the case on knowing that there's a possibility that at the end of the day, there's going to be a settlement and I'll take my fees from the settlement. And you'd be amazed at how many people, when they contact Stephanie Cover, for example, will say, here's the deal. I, you know, I, I want to get this done. My car was ruined in an accident. I need a new car. I lost a couple of weeks of work. I've got some medical bills, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, whatever that settlement is, I don't want to have to pay you out of the settlement. You know, can you... <laughs> Can you just send me a bill for your hours? But even then, it's like they're trying to get as much free information as they can from our legal expert like Stephanie Cover, and not pay her. And that's not right. I mean, it's, it isn't right. But the beauty of cases like a personal injury case or in the case of Coach Joe Kennedy is that the organization who is defending you, your best interest, can say, look, there's going to be a, you know, the trial phase if it goes to trial, but then there's going to be a point where the court actually awards damages, in other words, money. And in many cases, the first thing you're trying to recoup, if you're the attorney, is your legal fees. You know, the hourly rate that you had to pay, the hundreds of hours that you put in behind the scenes to get everything done. Um, 
it's just it, it's a lot of money and so that's why i commend our friends at alliance defending freedom for the work that they do in their cases i commend stephanie cover with cover law and i highly recommend if you don't have stephanie's name and number in your contacts make sure it's there stephanie with an f cover as in cover 877-214-4935 is how you reach her by telephone 877-214-4935 or just go to kbright radio k-b-r-i-t-e radio.com and forward slash cover law and you can find out how to get connected to stephanie that way our friends for alliance defending freedom we've got a banner up at uh, crawfordmediagroup.net and I encourage you to make a donation to ADF. I mean, you may find yourself in a situation like a Joe Kennedy situation where um, you wind up losing your job over something as innocuous as taking a knee at midfield after a football game. Uh, ADF was not legal counsel there. I know there were amicus briefs that were that were filed. filed. But they finally have, you know, <laughs> oftentimes you think, okay, it went to the Supreme Court. And thank the Lord that the high court ruled in favor, and now it's over, right? Well, it's never over until the damages are awarded. And we have good news to share with you. If you hadn't heard this before, I mean, this happened a couple of weeks ago, but I wanted to make sure that we covered this. Um, here's the, the timeline for Coach Joe Kennedy. It was during the fall of 2015, eight years ago, that Coach Kennedy, who was working as the junior varsity head football coach, and then was a senior, uh, excuse me, the, on the varsity squad, he was an assistant coach. A lot of schools do this. If you, I mean, this is how it was during my playing days, and maybe it was during yours as well, where the, the team, there isn't a separate varsity and junior varsity team, but the JV was basically the guys who didn't play the day before. You know, we'd, we have, we'd have Friday night games, that was the varsity game, and then Saturday morning, the same two teams would get together. They'd have what they called the junior varsity game. And it was pretty much whoever didn't play in the varsity game, you know, got to play in the JV game. You didn't always letter varsity if you played a lot of JV activity, but that's where you got your reps in. Kind of helped keep everybody in shape. But it was, it was a cool thing to do, I think. Well, so Coach Kennedy was the official head coach of the junior varsity squad. And then he was, the, uh, it was an assistant coach for the varsity. Former Marine, good Christian man, really nice guy. He used to go to midfield after the game, and there's a big difference between saying the 50-yard line in midfield, having worked for many years in the announcer's booth at the Santa Ana Bowl, Eddie Westfield, they called it back then, uh, doing, uh, doing the play-by-play -play there as the PA announcer. Um, if the ball was touching the 50-yard line, you'd say the ball's on the 50-yard line. If the ball was completely centered on the 50-yard line, then you'd say uh, first and 10 for whatever on the midfield stripe. I'll never forget the first time I called a midi, as the guys in the booth used to call it, and it was barely touching the line, and boy, you could have heard a pin drop. I'm surprised they didn't fire me on the spot. I was a teenager. What did I know, right? But anyway, so Coach Kennedy would go out to midfield. He'd drop to one knee at the end of the game. He'd bow his head silently, and he would offer a prayer. Now, he told officials afterwards that what he was praying for was he was thanking God that the game was fairly played, that there weren't any major injuries, or if there was an injury, that God would bring healing to the player, and that was it. It never lasted more than 60 seconds. Trust me, the crabby atheist and angry humanist used to have cell phones on him watching that. Well, it turns out that after Coach Kennedy started doing it, some of his players started doing it. They knew he was a Christian. They were Christians too. But then some of the opposing team started getting involved. 
At one point during his uh, trial, there was a young man. He doesn't play for the school anymore, obviously. This is eight years ago. But this guy said, hey, I'm an atheist. But I love what Coach K does. And I think it's a sign of unity. It brings everybody together. Gives us a chance to just kind of get clear our heads a little bit. So, you know, if there were some skirmishes going on during the game, the guys don't take it into the handshake afterwards and a fight doesn't break out on the field. He said he just thought it was a cool thing to do because you could make it whatever you wanted to. And that was the key. For Coach Kennedy, it was a declaration of his faith. For people who weren't Christians or who might be Muslim or Buddhist or Sikh or whatever, you know, they would come out too and just it was a moment of silent prayer. It's like when you see the guys standing for the national anthem and you see some guys singing the anthem and other guys, they've got their hands wrapped around their, you know, the shoulder pad or whatever and they got their heads down and they're just trying to get centered and focused for the game. Apparently, not one person ever had complained about this until a parent or someone alleged to being a parent brought it up to the angry humanist, crabby atheist legal groups, and they sent a cease and desist letter to the Bremerton High School and the Bremerton School District. And they basically said, look, you got a Christian out there. He's proselytizing. He's praying. He's leading people, you know, in this is Christian prayer. And that's a violation of the separation of church and state. Now, you're a bottom line lister, so you know the separation of church and state does not exist. Thomas Jefferson's letter to a group who were asking, will there, will there be uh, an official religion in the United States? Just like there was a Church of England, would there be a Church of the U.S.? And he said, no, we have a wall of separation between the two things. But he also went on to explain how religious liberty gives us the opportunity to say, because we have freedom of religion, or if you're an atheist or an agnostic, freedom from religion. No one's going to force their religion down your throat. But that also meant that the people who practiced their faith were allowed to practice their faith in the public square. And now, crabby atheists and angry humanists who have gotten so progressive, it's amazing all the woke literature I'm reading of late, where people, you've probably seen it too, people are posting things like, you know, we're, we're not woke, we're loving, compassionate, we care about the dignity of all, et cetera, et cetera. And they don't even realize that all of that is contingent on one fact, and that's if you agree with us. Years ago, an author by the name of Joey O'Connor wrote a great book on marriage. It's called, I Love You Unconditionally on One Condition. <laughs> and the condition, of course, talked about faith. This, uh, the woke crowd, unfortunately, does not realize that they're, the reason conservatives and Christians refer to them as woke is they took the kind of, uh, you know, the, the woke is a term that actually kind of uh, originated, it seems, in our culture, in the African-American community, saying, hey, look, I, you know, I, I want to stay woke to what's going on here. I want to stay, I, I don't want to just be awake. I want to be woke, like I've been up for a while. You know, like I've, I've really been paying attention to uh, racial discrepancies and disparities and systemic racism and things like that. And so now it's kind of been adopted by progressives as a, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm white, but I'm woke because I, I, I know what's going on and transgenderism and feminism and blah, blah, blah. But the, the irony is the people who profess to be woke don't really understand what it means to be, quote unquote, woke. And so a woke person, truly woke person, by the way it was used in the culture years ago, would look at a guy like Coach Kennedy and go, you do you. That, that's, that's who you are. You're a Christian. You have the right to be a Christian. Be a Christian. But if I'm a Hindu or a Muslim, don't tell me I can't do my thing too. 
But progressives have a tendency to want to try to kill anything they don't understand, anything they're afraid of, or anything that's different than they are. And so, of course, the progressives came after Coach Kennedy. You can't pray silently. Well, okay, so what if he said, hey, the reason I'm taking a knee at midfield is because Colin Kaepernick. Well, now it's a whole different conversation, isn't it? But he didn't say that. He said, I'm doing it because of my faith in Christ. And so he was uh, warned. He was warned by the district, don't do it again. Well, once you warned him, then they said, we're going to fire you if you do it one more time. He did it one more time and he was fired. So in 2016, Joe Kennedy sued the school district. They said uh, he claimed in his lawsuit that they violated his religious freedom. In 2017, a three-judge panel of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled against Coach Kennedy. In 2019, the U.S. Supreme Court initially refused to hear the appeal in his case. But then something happened. In March of 2021, the three-judge circuit court panel again ruled against Coach Kennedy, but the Supreme Court, as now appointed by Donald Trump, with three more constitutionally-based judges on the bench, agreed to hear his case in January of 22, and a month later, for some reason, the school district filed a request to dismiss his case, claiming that the case was moot because Kennedy had moved to Florida. Actually, he had moved there temporarily to take care of a sick family member. I think it was one of his parents. Last June, the justices ruled in Kennedy's favor by a 6-3 to three decision. But now there's a new wrinkle, and that is what kind of damages will Coach Kennedy receive to help cover his legal costs? Let's take a look at those on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and so grateful to be sharing with you the good news. You may have heard this. Uh, former high school coach Joe Kennedy is back in action in Washington State. Um, this is a guy you remember who infamously used to take a knee at midfield after every football game. He was the junior varsity head coach of Bremerton High School and was a varsity assistant coach. And he was first uh, reprimanded because some parent got upset. No, the, no student complained to my knowledge. Matter of fact, there were some atheist students who used to think what Coach Kennedy did was rather cool. But it's interesting to, to note that once this became an issue, Coach Kennedy, his hand was kind of forced in the sense that he was asked to stop taking a knee and taking engaging in silent prayer before God at midfield for about a minute after every game. And uh, more and more kids started doing it. It became more of a thing. And so uh, they said, do it one more time. You're going to get fired. And he was fired in 2016. 
He won his case before the Supreme Court last year, six to three decision, and uh, wound up being reinstated. Uh, all his legal fees have been covered. As a matter of fact, the uh, final payout was just under $2 million in legal fees. But I think the most gratifying thing for Coach Kennedy is the fact that he's back on the sidelines. And spring football is uh, in full effect. And for the first time since uh, uh, 2015, he's actually been reinstated. Um, he, that took place in mid-March. You know, it's interesting how the, the courts kept ruling against him. But when the final tally was handed at the highest court in the land, uh, Justice uh, Neil Gorsuch wrote, uh, Coach Kennedy prayed during a period when school employees were free to speak with a friend, call for a reservation at a restaurant, check email, or attend to other personal matters. In other words, it was a high school football game. He offered his prayers quietly while his students were otherwise occupied. Again, at the end of the game, where they were looking out there with their family and friends and whatever. Uh, still, the Bremerton School District disciplined him anyway. So Justice Gorsuch wrote, both the free exercise and free speech clauses of the First Amendment protect expressions like Mr. Kennedy's. The Constitution and the best of our traditions counsel mutual respect and tolerance, not censorship and suppression for religious and non-religious views alike. So thrilled that Coach Kennedy is back on the sideline. Um, also thrilled that the legal issue was handled. And I want to remind you, our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom uh, were not on Coach Kennedy's case, but they handle cases like this. And they do so pro bono. Uh, Coach Kennedy was and his legal team were awarded nearly $2 million to cover the legal fees that extended over a six-and-a-half-year period. When you make a donation to Alliance Defending Freedom, you are giving people like Coach Kennedy the opportunity to stand in court and have their day in court. Not that Christians want to run around suing everybody we possibly can, but I think Coach Kennedy had a justifiable gripe, and six Supreme Court justices agreed with him. Uh, go to CrawfordMediaGroup.net or KBrightRadio.com and look for the banner for Alliance Defending Freedom. When you see that banner, click that banner. And I want, uh, because it was he used to pray at the 50-yard line, how about making a $50 donation? to Alliance Defending Freedom today to support the cause that they do. If we have 40 bottom-line listeners who will do that, think of the impact that will have toward future cases like this. This could be one of your kids' coaches at some point, You have or grandkids. It might even be you that needs that kind of help. So I encourage you to make that donation tax-deductibly today to Alliance Defending Freedom. And if you want more information, go to adflegal.org. All right, let's take a break, and when we continue on this Good News Friday, uh, final story for this half-hour segment, and it focuses on something that I think is good news, even though a new report from Pew Research Group uh, might say otherwise. And that is a piece of information that is being spread about the church that is perception, but it should not be reality. If we are living out our Christian faith, we should be, what does Proverbs 16 say? Uh, you know, when, when a man is uh, you know, walking in God's way, even his enemies are at peace with him. Well, why do you think the culture has gotten so hostile toward Christianity? A new survey gives us a good trajectory on how to handle ourselves. We'll talk about that next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. When is a negative headline about the church good news for Christians? Well, you know, there's been a lot of conversation in the media of late about the evangelical church. And you've seen, you know, pop stars and Christian entertainers who have decided that they are no longer um, Christians, so they go from evangelical to ex-evangelical. You might have heard that. And yet, here we are in a country that guarantees religious freedom for all people. We have freedom of religion. 
and the establishment clause and free speech clauses that protect us. We were just talking about them in the case of Joe Kennedy. But now we see a new study from the Pew Research Center that finds that while most Americans are mostly neutral to many religious groups, evangelical Christians on average are viewed negatively by people outside the church. Now, it's an interesting study. Let's get into the weeds here. I mean, when it comes to people like Jews and mainline Protestants and Catholics, uh, people tend to view them more favorably than they do atheists, Muslims, and Mormons. But what about evangelicals? Here's what the research indicates. People who did not identify as born-again or evangelical Protestants of that group, 32% said that they view evangelicals negatively. Only 18% view them as positively. That makes evangelicals among the most negatively rated religious groups by people who are not member of that members of that group. Now, it's interesting because it's an outgrowth of the American political landscape. It seems that evangelicals are far more likely than non-evangelical Republicans to view evangelicals uh, negatively. <laughs> Democrats who are not born again uh, have a negative view of evangelicals. 47% of them do. Republicans who aren't, only it's only 14%. 35% of Americans hold a somewhat favorable view of Jews. Only 6% say not. I mean, that's, you know, it's 2% of the population. It's no big deal. But it's interesting. People who... Uh, personally no evangelical Christians are more likely to view the group favorably than those who don't. But here's why I think this is such an interesting uh, turn of events here. For too long, I think many of us here in the body of Christ have looked at our American citizenship as equal to our heavenly citizenship. In other words, the idea is I'm a Christian and I'm an American, so pretty much I could live the way I want to, and you know, no one's going to have a problem with it. Now, if we were adhering to a biblical worldview in this country, and what I mean by biblical worldview, you've heard George Barna on with me recently, the numbers are staggering. Over the course of a couple of generations, the number of people who profess faith in Christ versus the number of people who hold a biblical worldview, the gap keeps getting wider and wider. Now, in recent generations, within the past decade, the number of people who profess faith in Christ is even going down. I mean, it used to be, you know, you could say 90% of Americans believe in God. 75 to 80% of Americans believe the Bible is the word of God and should be the standard for living, and the church is a good thing. And then over time, you started to see in post-Christian America that those numbers started to go down a little bit. There's still a lot of people who believed in God, but not as many who are living according to a biblical worldview. Post-pandemic, we find out that the number of people who believe in God is at an all-time low. It's like 60%. And the number of people who of that group who hold a truly biblical worldview is 4%. But there's a backlash that comes along with this. It's not just that people are going to hell in a handbag because they're not living by a biblical worldview. It's now what used to be a given. Oh, that guy's a Christian. Oh, that guy's a pastor. That woman's a Bible study leader. That used to be a favorable impression for people outside the church. Now it's not. On the whole, you're talking 30 plus percent 
of Americans outside the church, 32%, have a negative view of evangelical Christians. That's compared to 18% with a positive view, and that also means 50% do not care. But here's the thought. As we are called to go into all the world and preach the gospel, maybe, just maybe, we should stop taking our Christianity for granted. Maybe we should stop taking for granted. If I could just get my neighbor to come to church, then that'll solve all his problems. Well, here's the question I would ask. Based on the statistics, what makes you think your neighbor wants to come to church anyway? What makes you think your neighbor really wants you? Especially statistically, if you are an evangelical Christian, and your neighbor is a non-evangelical Democrat, nearly half of non-evangelical Democrats say, I do not have a favorable opinion of Christians. So maybe, just maybe, I use this term a lot. I've, I've used it with several main ministry leaders. Hopefully they're all, all borrowing it. It used to be pretty much a home game if you were a Christian in America. You could quote scripture. You could hold up a copy of the Bible. You could bring a Bible with you wherever you went. You could say, sorry, we're not doing anything like youth sports and stuff like that on Sundays because that's a church day. Now you'd be amazed at the number of families, if they do come to church on a Sunday, where the kids were wearing a soccer uniform because they got a tournament to play afterwards. And do you have a Saturday night service or a Thursday night service to accommodate our busy lifestyle? Church gets squeezed into the culture instead of the other way around. So maybe 2023 is the year, brothers and sisters, that we completely rethink the way we do evangelism. We don't have to go into all the world because the world is everywhere. But what kind of gospel are we presenting? Even Greg Laurie said he doubts very seriously that the majority of people who are say they're preaching the gospel to other people really even understand it. Let's commit ourselves to biblical Christianity and the away games that we play in America when it comes to our faith. Trust me, that is good news, and that's the bottom line. Coming up next, if you have been victimized in your relationship with your dad, my next guest has some good news for you. It is possible to overcome father wounds. Author Kia Stevens joins me to talk about that next as the bottom line continues. Don't believe your insurance company is looking out for you. They're not. They want you to call them after you're in an accident, but you shouldn't handle that alone. That's where Stephanie Cover of Cover Law shines. With 20 years of insurance industry experience, she knows all the angles and will fight for your rights. Insurance companies pretend to be your partner, but in reality, their primary goal is to pay you as little as possible. When you work with Cover Law, Stephanie becomes your negotiator, and the insurance companies must talk to her, not you. You need to rest and heal. Stephanie is different from other attorneys. She's fully invested in your legal, medical, financial, emotional, and spiritual needs. After an accident, you don't want to deal with insurance adjusters who want to minimize your payout. So don't wait. Contact Cape Wright's personal injury attorney today at capewrightradio.com slash coverlaw. You won't pay a dime to talk to someone who truly cares about your healing. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to get into a topic of conversation that's one of those 800-pound gorillas in the room. A lot of people have these issues, don't know quite how to deal with them, and especially when it comes to women who are growing up in homes where dad might have been physically absent 
or he might have been physically present and emotionally absent. And there are father wounds to deal with. And joining me today here on the program is Kia Stevens. She is the founder of Entrusted Women, which she created to equip Christian women communicators uh, of color. She's a contributing writer for iBelieve.com. She's been a featured guest on the Proverbs 31 Ministries podcast, along with Crystal's Chronicles with Crystal Evans Hurst. And she is the author of a brand new book that has a title that just gets right down to the topic at hand, and that's Overcoming Father Wounds, Exchanging Your Pain for God's Perfect Love. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Kia Stevens, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Hi, Roger. It's great to be with you and your listeners today. Well, thank you. It's great to have you along for the ride, too, because this is an issue. Boy, I'll tell you, in my years of pastoral ministry, I hear this a lot from women, and that is the, wow, I married this guy, and he turned out to be just like my dad, and that's not a good thing. Or, you know, yeah, <laughs> I'm, sure you, I'm sure you hear that a lot, too. Uh, this, this is not the kind of book that you want to have to write, but I'm sure it's one that was very therapeutic for you and also for the women who are reading it, too. Talk about what was the genesis of, of this book from your own experience. Sure. I I often say that I didn't choose to write this book. This book chose me. I think God knew before time, this is the book that I was going to write. And and I I sometimes say that when God wants you to do something, you feel haunted. (laughs) So there are many times that I said, I I don't want to do this. Please pick somebody else. I'll just be a teacher. I'll just be a housewife or I'll just get dinner on the table. Mm -hmm. And God never took the desire away. So many things happened. I had the book on an external hard drive. It's the only place I kept it initially after having written for 10 years, discover a conference for women. And this little book, baby, that I only had on my external hard drive, I was in a meeting. I was a classroom teacher at that time. And I remember transporting my computer with the with the external hard drive plugged into the USB uh, from the teacher desk over to the student desk and the USB cable slipped out. The external hard drive fell onto the floor. I lost everything. Oh no. And I, <laughs> yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. It's Roger. <laughs> and, um, you know, through that, I, I went through a discouragement, a, a depression time. And that was the catalyst that God used to cause me to mm. start writing on a blog. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. My first blog was the Father Swap blog to help women exchange their father wounds for the love of God, the Father. Mm-hmm. And from there, I got sidetracked and I started a ministry for Christian women communicators of color and really had given up, given up on this on this book idea. But God brought it back to the surface again. Well, it never really went away. I just kept trying to push it away um Mm -hmm. and uh god opened the door 20 plus years later and Mm. i knew this was the book that i was supposed to write for this Mm -hmm. time for this season Mm -hmm. um and and i've known that for for 20 plus years so this book chose me well, and I, I'm glad that you were finally obedient to it after you kind of wrestled with it for a couple of decades. Because, uh, it, but it is interesting though, because when we, as we do get older, we do find a little more wisdom, maybe a little more discernment, and we can approach mm-hmm. some of these uh, these topics and some of the issues you deal with in the book called "Overcoming Father Wounds." You can deal with them in ways that not only are therapeutic for you, but helpful for other people. Yeah. Um, how mm-hmm. how many women are we talking about here who have? I mean, is this is this so common that we can't even count? Are we talking Abraham? and the grains of sand of the ocean type of thing or the stars of the sky. How many women have father wounds? 
Sure. Well, according to statistics, one in four children grow up in father absent homes. And so those that statistic doesn't include homes where you have men that are addicted to a substance or they're alcoholic or they're physically present, but emotionally absent or they're abusive or, or dominant. It's really hard to quantify how many women have been impacted father wounds really run the gamut in terms of being what somebody might say mild a comment made at the dinner mm-hmm. table or an right. event that was repetitively missed or it could be abuse physical and sexual and mental and emotional abuse from a father so i engage with all all types of circumstances, women with all types of circumstances. And they're so complex and they're so complicated. Uh, in, in my book, I talk about when I, when I decided I was going to start this blog, the Father Swap blog that, that I mentioned earlier, uh, I heard so many different comments. Some, one woman said, I just met my father today. Another woman said, my father introduced me as his boy. Another woman said, my father was an alcoholic. And it it just continues. Mm. Women are reaching out to me in direct messages on Instagram, on Facebook. They're 75. They're 36. They're they're mothers who are reaching out to me about their daughters. I had a a woman reach out and say, well, do you think this book will work for my for a 16 year old? And she later told me through the correspondence, "It's, it's for my daughter. Mm. So it it's so far reaching. I, I remember Roger, I was in a church service with my mom and the minister said, How many of you have never heard your biological father say, I love you? And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know these people. I don't want to be mm-hmm. vulnerable and transparent with strangers. Right. So I timidly raised my right hand only to see a sea of hands in the sanctuary go up. Mm. And then I look to my left and see my mother's hand up too. And I was like, oh, what? wow. Oh, my oh, goodness. Your, your hands up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and my father was a Baptist pastor. He was a really great man, but he wasn't an affectionate father. And so Mm -hmm. there was a conversation that I ended up having with my mom about my biological grandfather that we never would have had had the minister not asked that question. Mm, interesting. Uh, Kia Stevens is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, and the book we're talking about is called Overcoming Father Wounds, Exchanging Your Pain for God's Perfect Love. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Once you identify that there are just even having the courage to say, yes, there is, there's wounding here, whether, like you mentioned, it was absence, whether it was abuse, you know, you know, verbal or physical or otherwise, I'm sure that there's there's kind of two paths a woman can go on. Uh, number one, it's let's deal with this and kind of, you know, uh, figure out what's going on or let's create kind of an idealistic alter ego dad and maybe try to find him in marriage or, you know, maybe get married and have a kid and raise your son to be that way. What do you recommend that a woman does who's now has been that one who timidly raised her right hand at the congregation that said, my dad never said <laughs> yeah. he loved me. And then you got this, all this abuse to deal with. Where's a good place to start, do you think? Sure. And I I love the way you unpack that, Roger. Um, I I have often said when women see the title of my book, they're either going to say, oh, I need that book and rush and get it immediately. They're going to look at the book or they're going to look at the book and say, I need that book. I don't want to read that book. Or they're going to look at it and say, 
uh, I don't need that book, but they really do need mm-hmm. the book. And and some of the things that you described in terms of trying to create this, this ideal father, maybe replicate him in your subsequent relationships with the opposite sex, or trying to build a relationship with a father that was absent from your life and, and thinking that you're going to create this fantasy relationship with him or the, the relationship that you idealize. Sometimes women do that uh, without knowing that they're doing that. Sometimes it is a subconscious um uh, survival m- methodology that we employ just to um, feel better about our situation. And so I often say, invite the Holy Spirit into your healing journey. He is a wonderful counselor and he mm-hmm. can take the will in terms of pointing out what we might be blinded to. That's what he did in my life. Uh, I'm I don't offer a a linear path to healing. I I don't think healing is is linear. I think it's often cyclical. Mine kind of looks like a spider web where I I zigzag (laughs) across, you know, one place and then I spider web up to the top. And, you know, before I know it, I've, I've made this, this kind of mixed up web of sorts. But when God guides our journey, uh, he leaves no gaps in the right. healing process. He right. is is he completes the work. What that's what it says in Philippians one six mm-hmm. that we can be confident that yes. that God is going to finish what He started, and He will be doing that until we see Jesus face to face. Now, on yes. my healing journey, Roger, there's so much that has been involved. Um, I'll, I'll try to unpack a few things, but listeners can really get. Uh, the the details and, and more information if they pick up my book. But one of the things I had to do is examine the lies that I believed uh, as a result or as a byproduct of not having my father in, in my life. Truly an amazing topic. Kia Stevens has a fantastic voice for this discussion, and we're grateful to have her on the program today. Her book is called Overcoming Father Wounds, Exchanging Your Pain for God's Perfect Love. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Kia Stevens is my guest. We're discussing her book called Overcoming Father Wounds, Exchanging Your Pain for God's Perfect Love. When we are growing up and we experience traumatic life events, or when we experience the absence of a biological parent, there are things that we communicate to ourselves in the process that are not true. Mm. Uh, Lies that might be, I am not loved. I am not lovely. There's nothing desirable about me if I'm not performing or if I'm not um, meeting the standards of other people. or Or I have to perform to have value and to have worth. Um, I cannot trust others or I cannot trust myself. There are a lot of lies that we can begin to believe as truth. Sometimes they appear to be 99.2% truth, but mm. then that 7% we have to debunk it with the, with the truth of God's word. And so that process is called cognitive behavioral therapy. Certainly you can do it not in a Christian setting, but just where you examine what are you thinking? Mm. At what messages are you sending yourself as a result of your father's absence, that you are Mm. not lovable, 
that that you are not worthy of love, that you are not capable of love, that every subsequent relationship you have in your life, those people are going to reject you because your father did not accept you. Um, so when we begin to evaluate those lies and pair it with truth, it really begins to help um, frame what we should be thinking. It helps us to align our thoughts with the thoughts of, of God. And so that was one of the exercises that I had to do for, for myself and still have to do. I, I want yeah, to clarify yeah. that, mm-hmm. you know, the, the book is entitled Overcoming. The mm-hmm. ING denotes that it's present progressive. Mm-hmm. Keith Stevens has in no way arrived at, at the <laughs> pinnacle of, of healing. I, yeah. I still, I'm still healing. I, mm-hmm. I still grieve. Even though I do have a relationship with my biological father, it's not perfect. And and it, it won't be perfect because I'm flawed and my dad is too. So there are still things that I do grieve, uh, you know, and in addition to the cognitive behavioral therapy, I also share in my book uh, a forgiveness letter template. Hmm. And I remember, yeah, I, I remember I was in a counseling session and my counselor suggested, have you written a forgiveness letter to your father? And Roger, I was like, looking at her, like, she clearly doesn't know what she's talking about. I already told you my father wasn't in my life. So what is there to forgive? Uh, But I took her advice. And I remember sitting down and pinning this forgiveness letter. And honestly, I could not get through it. Mm. When I got to the part where you name the things that the consequences of of your offender's actions, which for me would be my father's absence. Mm-hmm. And I had to name, I wanted you here for this. I wanted you there to tuck me in at night. I wanted you mm-hmm. there to, um, to to question my potential dates. I wanted you there for the father-daughter yeah. dances. I wanted you there for this and there for that. The tears began to pour out of my eyes. And I just remember struggling and and being shocked really that all this emotion all of this pent-up emotion was now pouring out of me emotion I didn't even think existed Hmm. but when I really thought about some of my experiences in life and how that might have looked different had my father been there uh, I I began to realize I, I was hurt I had unforgiveness. Mm -hmm. And so the second part of this exercise that I recommend is to have an empty chair, Uh, not to communicate this letter, not to share the letter with your father, because you don't want to wound him. I I do want to encourage people to follow the word of God, which says, honor your father and your mother, even if we don't think that they are honorable. Right, Um, right. I do want to encourage people to honor their father and their mother. And so I, I set an empty chair in my bedroom. And I set another chair in the bedroom. I sat in one chair and then there was no one in the other one. And I proceeded to read the letter out loud. Mm. And yep. And <laughs> it go. I love all your amen comments. Uh, it was hard. Yeah. It was absolutely hard. Uh, I could not get through reading that letter in one sitting. Mm. I, I had to come back to it. It was very difficult. And I want to submit to the readers that your father may not be the only person that needs a forgiveness letter. I I wrote one to myself because there were behaviors that I exhibited uh, 
as a byproduct of my father's absence, things that I did to get my needs for satisfaction, significance, and security met that I had to forgive myself for decisions that I made, that I had to forgive myself for, regrets that I had that I needed to forgive myself for. But then I also had to forgive God because I I grew up in the church, Roger. And so I had this, if I do this, God, then you should do this. Mm -hmm. If I go to church, which I did almost every day of the week sometimes, (laughs) if I pay my tithes, if I serve on the usher board, I'm in the choir, if I'm leaving Sunday school, if I'm praying, if I'm doing all these things, then I think you should meet my needs in, in the way in which I think they should be met. I think mm-hmm. you should provide every daughter with a loving and engaged father. Hmm. And I parked there for years mm-hmm. and years and years. And some of the listeners, by, by sheer fact of probability, might be here right now. Uh, it's the age-old question of why does God, how can a good God mm-hmm. allow fill in the blank? Right. And we wrestle with that. And we think, well, if this God allows this in my life, he might not be good at all. Mm. He might be a cruel dictator. He might be uh, dominant and just uh, sadistic in nature. We We may perceive God to be this way. And so I had to sit God. Um, the imaginary God, which you, you can't really tell God what to do, but I, I did God in the and I yep. read a forgiveness letter to God. And mm. through many, many years of, of wrestling with him, I discovered that God is sovereign. And there are things that he allows in our life that don't feel good and they don't feel pleasant. And I mm. cannot tell anyone why he does that. I could throw out some, some reasons. He could allow it um, because he sees the a, an expected end. In my situation, had my father been in my life, I probably wouldn't be on this radio program with you. I probably would not have written a book for women uh, to help them exchange their father wounds for God's perfect love. Sure, yeah, and so you see, and you see that. That's one yeah. example. Yeah, I yeah, see. I that. see that now. Yeah, you do. You do now. Later. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, okay. okay, God, you are good. You know. Yes. No, but, uh, All the time, and but, God's sovereignty means He always gets what He wants too. I'm talking with Kia Stevens today here on the Bottom Line, and the book is called "Overcoming Father Wounds: Exchanging Your Pain for God's Perfect Love." We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Just about a minute and a half left here in our conversation, Kia, and you conclude the book in a very positive. Uh, but you know, realistic outlook too about making peace with the present. You know, here's where I am, and this is where we're going with this. What are some good first steps for a woman to take who says, "Okay, I know there's a problem. I there's this forgiveness issue I need to deal with, but where do I begin this whole process?" Well, a great place to begin would be to pick up this book, um, "Overcoming Father Wounds." I walk through my healing journey, and at the end of each chapter, I have questions for every woman to answer at her own pace and her own time. There are several exercises that she can walk through to find healing and forgiveness with her father, with with herself and with God. And so I think that's a great place to start. Admit, invite the Holy Spirit into this journey, and then pick up this book. Pick up this book would be a great first step. 
Okay. Well, that's a good, it's great advice from someone who has lived this and then spent many years kind of letting it kind of percolate around as God uh, had ways to refine the <laughs> yeah. message. And now we have the message uh, perfectly executed. Uh, Kia Stevens' new book is called Overcoming Father Wounds, Exchanging Your Pain for God's Perfect Love. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Kia, thank you for your faithfulness and obedience to God to writing this book and for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Really appreciate the conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Roger. It's been a pleasure. Wow. I, I can imagine there are a lot of people who heard this conversation just now and are saying, wow, that's me. <laughs> that's my story. And, you know, it's interesting because uh, I, I appreciate what Key is saying. And uh, I, I know that though that's not my story, um, it, it is for a lot of people. And I'm grateful that she took the time to write the book to tell her story. It's called Overcoming Father Wounds, Exchanging Your Pain for God's Perfect Love. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we have a copy of the book to give away right now. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. If you have this story or maybe you know someone who does, uh, maybe you and your husband had a tough relationship, the marriage ended, and now you've got kids who are wrestling with this. I highly recommend this resource. Uh, Kia Stevens' book, Overcoming Father Wounds, Exchanging Your Pain for God's Perfect Love. It's up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we do have a copy to give away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, I'm going to share a personal story about father wounds in my family that have been overcome miraculously, and I'm so grateful that they have. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. My thanks again to Kia Stevens for telling a powerful story of overcoming father wounds. That's the title of her brand new book, Exchanging Your Pain for God's Perfect Love. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And I mentioned earlier, we do have a copy of the book to give away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, oftentimes we hear women talking about what it was like growing up in a home with a, a physically abusive or emotionally abusive or, God forbid, even sexually abusive father or stepfather. Uh, but one of the guys that I admire the most in this life, if not the most, is my own dad. And uh, I, I realized that as I got older, 
uh, I really had a greater appreciation for him. He was kind of a workaholic when I was younger. He seemed not distant, but just, there was just kind of a there was a public dad, and then every now and again you got to hang out with the the private dad. And it wasn't until I became a father that uh, he kind of looked at me differently, like, "Hey, you're you do this pretty good." And I looked at him like, "Wow, you I I can't imagine what it was like for you." But he had parents who battled uh, alcoholism, and especially his dad. And my dad had to make some really tough decisions. I found out later in life that uh, that were very impactful for our family. We didn't always see my dad's parents that much, but that we lived in Whittier and then in Orange County, and they lived in Twenty Nine Palms, uh, which is out in the desert. For those who know the area, uh, the California desert, kind of out in the Coachella Valley, and we saw them a couple times a year. And a couple times a year, they'd come see us, and it was kind of like, oh, the grandparents are here. You know, we'd have some conversations, but I wasn't close to my dad's parents the way I was to my mom's mother. I was really close to my grandma, B, as we called her, um, Mabel Benilius. But it was interesting as I got older, I heard a couple of stories about my dad and how he had to sit down with his dad and have tough love conversations about drinking and about you know his the way he handled himself. And I thought to myself, man, at that age, you know, in your late teens, early 20s, to have to grow up that quickly and then to say, okay, yeah, there are places where you've hurt me, you've hurt my mom, that type of thing, but I'm going to forgive you, but I'm going to forgive you in the best way. Ultimately, the grandfather that I knew wasn't the father that my dad knew. And I'm very grateful for that. I mean, I have good memories of my grandpa. I mean, we just, we had some good times together. I, he was, I was 15 when he passed away. But it's so interesting to think about how sometimes father wounds can really define you in a negative way. But oftentimes God uses those scourges, if you will, as a way of refining your faith and making you stronger and helping you build character. At some point, you have to ask the question, am I going to repeat this cycle or am I going to repent from it? Am I going to refute it? Am I going to turn away and let God bring healing? What people mean for evil, God can always use for good according to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Obviously, if you're in a physically abusive relationship, you don't want to stay. But sometimes the father wounds that we have that are emotional and spiritual even can be overcome through prayer. And I'm grateful for my dad for doing that. That is good news. And that's the bottom line. For those on KCBC, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. And Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, coming up next. For those who remain on the network, a great story, a good news story to wind up, wind up this week about a church that went to extraordinary measures to help people in medical distress and how their goal was exceeded by God 5, 10, 15 fold. <laughs> we'll do the math coming up next as the bottom line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh and so glad to have you along for the good news. And of course, the good news is the good news of the gospel. I mean, we can't get away from that. And it's amazing to me how many people uh, really don't understand. I'm, I'm going to say this as uh, lovingly as I can, as we are just over a week away from Pentecost, if you are following a traditional like Catholic or Lutheran calendar, uh, the Ascension happens, of course, on the 40-day mark, and then Pentecost 50 happens 50 days after Easter, after the resurrection. And to see the number of people who this year, I mean, I, I don't know why this kind of, uh, it really stuck with me more. But I was really surprised to see from Easter and on, and even through the Lenten season, the number of people who would focus on one aspect of that time of year, but not others. C case in point, I've uh, got a nice little email 
from a dear friend, longtime friend, was on vacation, sent some emails and pictures, and said, by the way, um, hey, everyone, I hope you're enjoying a beautiful Lenten season. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I think about Lent, I don't think about vacation. I think about the 40 days that Jesus was led into the wilderness after John the Baptist baptized Jesus. And as he came up out of the water, basically the Lutheran belief is that Jesus going into the water means now Jesus is forever present in the water. And as long as the pastor or priest or whomever, uh, you know, deems so, consecrates the water, then you can splash a little bit on a forehead. You can make a sign of the cross on someone's back. You can, you know, whatever you do, the forehead, I think it's where it's supposed to be. Or you can completely immerse. That's the, the Lutheran tradition because Jesus has gone into the water literally to be washed clean and taken the Jewish baptism, which was just more of a ceremonial, we're washing your body and washing your sins. Jesus is cleaning you from the inside out. And now when we submerge or are submerged into the waters of baptism, submerged, we basically go into the grave and come up, washed clean and resurrected. So, you know, that's, that's the beauty of that. But the Lenten season is a season of reflection. I mean, I... Maybe that kind of pain and agony and that type of stuff. You know, I mean, let's face it. Jesus is in the wilderness. He's all by himself. And he is basically, um, he's not eating. You know, he's, he's our human bodies. I mean, there had to be something supernatural that kept him going. Because physically, you can live, what is it? You can live 40 days without food. You can't live more than seven days without water. Physically, just in the physical realm. So the fact that Jesus went 40 days and 40 nights with nothing uh, means that he was pretty remarkable. Now, maybe he had water. I don't know. I don't think scripture tells us that. But when I think of Lent, I think of this dark night of the soul, this major deep season. And I'll tell you, for me, I mean, seriously, this year, the Lenten season was so reflective. It was so transformational. Um, Had a chance to see the movie Nefarious about the reality of demons and heaven and hell and good versus evil and in talking with uh, Chuck Konzelman and Kerry Solomon, the uh, writers and directors of this film, the number of demonic instances that they had to do battle with. I mean, it's incredible to think of everything that they went through to get that movie made. And I felt almost every bit of that watching them. But I have to admit that one of the things, and this is just kind of a good news reflection for yours truly, um, it's amazing. The number, I've, I've lost a number of people in my life. I don't say lost. They passed on, went to be with the Lord. But the, I felt their losses much more deeply this past year or so than I have in the past. And it, it, God really kind of sat me down and walked me through a, a season of coming to grips with what those losses meant, you know, what, what they meant to me and what they meant to other people. And I experienced that desire for being with the Lord in a much deeper level, several friends and I have had this conversation about, you know, we were watching our friend, uh, dear friend of mine, uh, longtime friend Gary Robinson was his name, um, passed away last April from cancer. He had uh, can- a tumor that was blocking the bile duct in his liver. And inexplicably, things just kept getting worse. And they tried radiation and chemo and it just made things worse. And eventually they stopped the radiation and chemo. Within two weeks, he was gone. And I remember what well, there's a whole pack of us that all grew up in elementary school together, middle school. We all went to church and we, together and we still hang out together. And these two sisters, uh, Lori and Terry Koppel, uh, were their names before they got married, uh, were uh, very good friends of mine and, and Gary and his wife. And we were 
down at the hospital one day and I remember Terry looking at me and she said, you know, why am I jealous? I mean, I don't want to die right now. I'm young. My daughter just got married and stuff like that. But I want to be with Jesus. You know, I really do want that. And it really kind of reframed for me what the, like the Lenten season, I want to experience, you know, not that I did a 40-day fast, but I don't want to go on vacation and just look at pictures of what heaven's going to be like. I mean, I, I, I want to, I want to know Christ more. And if I do so more through suffering than through good times, I'm not asking Lord, you know, bring it on. But, uh, and I think I, I sense a lot of people are going through that as well. They're looking at the plight of others and saying, how can I help? How can I be the hands and feet of Jesus? And toward that end, I am thrilled to see the number of churches that are stepping up and stepping out to help those who are less fortunate. And one of the areas where we see this happening now is something that has been a uh, just a major problem for a lot of families, both Christian and unbelievers alike, and that is the cost of health care. Notice I didn't say the cost of health insurance, but the cost of health care. Now, there's not a soul among us in this country that doesn't want to see other people at least have the opportunity to get health care when they need it. I think of, I mentioned my friend Gary, And uh, he worked for the state of California for 35 years, worked in custodial services, things of that nature. His wife works there too. The state offers them a good retirement plan or offered them a really wonderful retirement plan and uh, with health insurance and benefits that were good. But at the same time, you know, there was also, they were, the clock was ticking. I mean, he turned 65 and they got cancer and he got close to, he hit his 66th birthday and didn't stay with us too much longer after that. But one of the things that I spent a lot of time with him and his now widow uh, working through this kind of my area, whatever, was, okay, where are you guys financially? What, what, what bills are big, what bills are piling up or not piling up and where are you? it turned out God had blessed them. They had worked very diligently. They'd gone through some really lean seasons. Kathy told me there were many nights where um, she worked the day shift in custodial world and he worked the night shift or the other way around. And that worked out best because one of them could always be home for their two sons. And she said, quite frankly, there were nights where they would sit down and they would look at what they had to work with in terms of their meals. And she told me, she said, I've never told anybody this, but there were nights where Gary and I would literally look at each other and we kind of kept a rotation as to which one of us was getting dinner because we had to make sure the boys had enough to eat. And I thought, Oh, I just, I mean, that sacrifice that's just so wonderful and so loving. And I don't know this side of eternity if their boys will ever, if they would ever know, but if they would ever appreciate what their parents went through. But I'll tell you, one of the studies that I have been drawn to over the years has been the impact of financial hardship on the emotional well-being of families. If you came from a family where you had, and I'll I'll use this term uh, specifically, enough. Translation, you didn't have to worry about the bills not being paid. You know, there was, you weren't in a home where you were going to come, who was it? I think it was Dr. James Dobson years ago uh, told a story. He had a, uh, uh, one of his presentations on the old focus on the family when he was there. And I believe it was the pastor, Evie Hill. Uh, African-American pastor, downtown L.A., I believe. And he said he was talking about how uh, he and his wife, when they first started out, uh, they had a difficult time 
balancing the checkbook, as it were. And she could come from a home where she thought, you know, she should be doing it and she could handle it. And he'd come from the one where he said, you know, I, I should be doing it if I'm getting the story right. And so it was her turn, you know, to, uh, she was handling it and everything was great. And one night he came home and the house was completely dark except for candlelight. And he walked in the home and I think her, he had a name for her like baby or sweet or something like that. And he called out and she came and she said, I'm in here, I'm in the kitchen. And he came in and he sat down and she goes, oh, this is wonderful. Gosh, you got this beautiful candlelit dinner here and whatever. Then he noticed that the food hadn't been prepared by her at home. It was kind of a takeout type of thing. And and he said, sweetie, this is really great. He said, but you know, it's kind of tough to see in here with the lights. Can't we just turn the light on? I mean, I get the, the candlelight thing. And that's when she started to cry. And she said, I had to turn the candles on because, or you know, light the candles, because they cut the power off. And it turned out she had forgotten to pay the the electric bill, and or they didn't have enough for it, or whatever it was. And they prayed, and they you know they they made it through the evening, and they got it squared away the next day. But there are a lot of families who have had that situation where they are, and you may not know it. There may be families in your church right now where everything looks okay. They've got a car, car looks nice, kids are wearing clothes that look pretty good. Either they are you know, just barely getting by so the clothes aren't super fancy, or maybe everything looks really, really nice, you know, really wonderful, spectacular uh, cars and clothes and everything looks okay, but that family is one step away from the poorhouse, as we used to say. Uh, years ago, I ne I'll never forget going to pay a visit, make a home visit to a family where they'd had a, a death in the family and they needed some pastoral counsel. And so I came to visit them at home and um, it was a really nice home, big, beautiful neighborhood. And husband um, was upstairs and he was on the phone. I think he was trying to work or do something. Wife was downstairs and, uh, and I uh, you know, asked to come in. They said, thank you so much for coming. It's just been a really tough time. And I started talking with them. And finally, the wife said, you know, we wanted to come to uh, the church and, and see you. But we weren't able to because, well, um, things have been kind of tight around here. And um, it was her father had passed away. And dad, you know, was always there to kind of stand in the gap for us when we didn't have enough. And I'm looking around at this home going, what do you mean don't have enough? I mean, obviously you needed something to get into this place, right? And I knew they had two really nice cars in the garage. And I said, well, gosh, is it tough? I mean, as far as fuel and stuff like that. And she says, well, that's tough. And she said, plus we're kind of behind on the car payments. And we leave them in the garage because if we take them out, they'll probably get repossessed. And all of a sudden, this facade that I had for years, this family had it all together and they were so wonderful. And sometimes my young family, I'd look at that and say, hey, God, that's not really fair. I began to realize it was a house of cards. And sometimes we do that financially to ourselves. You know, that's where a, a Dave Ramsey, baby steps, you know, get a thousand in the bank and that type of stuff can really be a huge help to just kind of get you back on track. But other times it comes at you. And if you've ever experienced this, like the couple I counseled, the husband wound up having a quintuple bypass and had insurance, but the insurance over only covered half of the surgery and he was self-employed and now he was facing $100,000 in medical debt. And so help me, he almost had another heart attack <laughs> just trying to deal with the debt. It was so much and, and it was incredible. There are people that you know right now who are wrestling with medical debt that's choking them. It's gone to collections. It's something that they, it's just way over their heads. It's overwhelming. 
and they can't find forgiveness for it. They can't find relief. As a result, that's why this next good news story, I think, is so important. Because it signals um, you know, that, that more and more churches are stepping up and doing what they can to help people eliminate medical debt. Now, I'll tell you something that's interesting about this. It doesn't take that much to do, number one. Number two, in most cases, the debts had already been charged off anyway. So it's not like someone's beaten down their door trying to collect this medical stuff. But when you hear what the First Plymouth Congregational Church of Lincoln, Nebraska did by Easter Sunday, this was their Lenten campaign. Maybe Lent was a joyful experience after all for them. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years? After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, waxing philosophical today about expenses and debt and appearances and how many people are, you know, really just struggling with debt. And, you know, there's a there's a big issue that people have with, okay, on the one hand, you're struggling and how, let's, if you've got adult children, Lisa and I have six adult children between the two of us, our blended families. And we know when the phone rings, who's calling to visit. And we know who's calling to say, you know, and uh, there are a couple in particular who, you know, you know, there's there's usually some kind of you know needing assistance and a couple others we never hear from them i wish we would you know more if we don't call them they don't call us but at least in their case i mean things are kind of going a little better financially i say that to say this here in 2023 there are a lot of people over the past two three years in particular who had major medical challenges and they either had insurance that would kind of help or insurance that didn't really help at all. When the Affordable Care Act passed, what was it, 2012, 2013, and was enacted, the thought was everybody was going to get insurance and it wasn't going to cost them anything and it was going to be the best insurance they ever could hope for. You and I knew that wasn't true. For the first year, it was kind of a smokescreen. The people who really needed it got on it really inexpensively, tons of government subsidies. That wasn't going to work to keep going. What needed to happen was a lot of young people needed to get on plans that they would pay for and never have to use and those monies would go to offset the plans of older people and the government seemed to think they could stiff arm the medical industry into lowering their rates that didn't happen either now it is not uncommon i'll use myself as an example i had open heart surgery just over five years ago i was using one of those medical sharing plans faith-based organization I was thrilled to find out that even though this was based on a pre-existing condition um, and five weeks before the surgery, they said, yeah, go ahead and submit the bills. We'll approve it. We'll pay for everything. There were 19 different medical groups between doctors and radiologists and cardiologists and anesthesiologists who had bills coming at me. 
there are some I just waited for him to go to the collection thing and then pay him off it there because I couldn't keep track of what I'd paid and what I hadn't but my medical sharing program paid about half of the three hundred thousand dollars it cost to put me back together that means I still have some pretty big medical bills hanging over my head now it's been five years most of them I've, they've gone to collection and the collection accounts aren't really pursuing them I know that happens but for some people though these bills are real it keeps them that being on a collection account on your credit keeps you from getting a credit card or renting an apartment you know well it messes up your credit check you can't purchase a car sometimes you can't get a job if your credit score isn't good now i'm i'm blessed that i've been able to you know take care of a lot of the obligations and the biggest one which is with the main hospital uh, they're not going to track me down for that. That's just kind of the way the insurance thing worked. They, they weren't familiar with my insurance company. I get it. But there's a church in Nebraska that has taken the mantle, and this is a campaign that I think is really, it's really cool. What they were aiming to do was to raise enough money to pay off medical bills for local residents. And the goal that they started out with 14 months ago, they set the goal for Easter 2023 church leadership initially thought that when they put this out to their congregation, which is not a huge congregation, that they would raise around $8,000. And in doing so, if they raised $8,000, what they could do is um, they could you know, pay down some of these bills. Now, when it goes to a collection agency, you may or may not be familiar with how this works. Let's say somebody has a $10,000 medical bill and they're not able to pay it. That's 10,000 after all of your insurance monies are paid. So the hospital or the doctor says, you know, so here's the deal. I'm never gonna get this from them. I'm gonna charge this off. I'll just write it off, no big deal. A collection agency though goes and buys that $10,000 debt, but they don't pay $10,000 for it. In some cases, they might pay a couple hundred bucks for it. And they'll send out a note saying, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, you owe $10,000. How would you like to settle that up? And the family says, well, we didn't pay to the hospital because we didn't have it so we don't have you know the deal okay well we'll set up a payment plan okay fine uh we can knock your bill down to uh thousand dollars and you pay us fifty dollars a month how about that okay well with interest and penalties they're just giving away 50 bucks a month and what if the family now is mom and two kids and they can't do it so the church said here's the deal we can work on this with collection agencies there are certain organizations where a church can say, look, we've raised $1,000, we've raised 2,500 bucks. How much debt can we pay down? They find people who are in their area and who are in their at or below the poverty level. You know, there's certain economic requirements that uh, need to be met. And once those economic requirements are met, then the basically what happens is the church works with the collection agency and the uh, to offset the bill, and they'll say, look, okay, here's a $10,000 debt. The church can pay $500. It's considered paid in full. Then the collection agency reaches out to the family who has the debt and says, guess what? We have good news for you. Your $10,000 medical debt is paid in full. We'll delete it from your credit report, and it's all courtesy of this church. Well, the church started, they, they started this in March of 2022. The idea was they wanted to get help get rid of medical debt near uh, in the near South neighborhood in Lincoln, Nebraska. And so yeah, it's Debtors Defense Project, which is a group that works with more transparency and protection for those going through the legal process of debt collection. 
Here's one. Uh, there was a single person who lived in a rental unit who owed $1,000 in medical bills, um, couldn't pay. There was a single parent who uh, was only living on $600 or was living on uh, child support and owed 600 bucks. There was a food service worker who owed 1300 They just couldn't do it. So they went to the church and they said, here's the deal. Um, we will stand in the gap, but we're going to go to our congregants and say, put an extra 10 bucks, 20 bucks in the offering plate. We will have a collection here and we're going to do this. And so by Easter of 2023, which is just this past Sunday, we hope to raise $8,000 and that $8,000 will probably pay off maybe $50,000 in medical debt. Well, that sounds like a fair deal, right? Guess how much money the church raised? Are you ready? It wasn't $8,000. It wasn't even $80,000. It was $500,000. They actually went a little over that to pay off the medical bills of local residents. 10,000 people made donations to the church. But here's the best part. Coming up next, I'll tell you who the people were and how many households in the surrounding community benefited. That's all coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment. And the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat. And you think, wow, how can I bless someone else. Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and so glad you've tuned in for the program today. Uh, we are rejoicing with the good news here to kind of wrap things up for the week in the program. The First Plymouth Congregational Church of Lincoln, Nebraska, started a campaign in March of 2022. Their uh, senior pastor, Jim Keck, said uh, in his Easter sermon this past year, sometimes love has to be expressed in actions. Quite frankly, James tells us that uh, faith without deeds is dead. So the church decided last Easter that they were going to get into a uh, program. It actually wound up being about a 14-month campaign where they wanted to raise enough money to help alleviate medical debt for people in the community. There are a couple of different organizations that have done this on a regular basis. You may have heard of RIP Medical Debt, which is an organization that does just that. Uh, Debtors Defense Project was the one that this group worked with. And they specialize in helping people who are in low-income situations, single parents, widows, divorces, divorcees, that type of thing. Uh, the elderly especially. And they have, you know, maybe have $600 in medical debt or $1,000. Not a ton, but it's a lot to them. And knowing that these credit reporting agencies, these collection agencies, often buy a thousand dollar medical debt for a hundred bucks, eighty nine bucks, seventy five bucks, they get them cheap because the hospitals have already written them off. 
But there's just something wonderful about seeing paid in full on your credit report and then having that account eliminated as if that collection account was never there before. Over 10,000 people wound up participating in the First Church's campaign and the vast majority of those people did not even belong to the congregation. They heard what the church was doing. The church decided that every dime that went to the collection plate for those days would go to forgive medical debt in the homes of central Lincoln, Nebraska, and over 500 families benefited from this program. I can't stress this enough. If your church has never done this before, try it. You're looking for an outreach program and thinking, should we go to Honduras? Should we go to Russia? Should we go to Ukraine? Why don't you go pay medical debt for people in your neighborhood? <laughs> because there's nothing as good, right? As Christians, we understand this. When you had a debt on your collection account, on your credit report that you could not pay, and then for someone to call you and tell you, you may now go to the collection agency and say, my debt is paid in full. Please eliminate it from my report as if it were never there before. What does that sound like, brothers and sisters? Doesn't that sound like Judgment Day when we stand before the Lord and say, look, here is a list of all the sins that I've committed against you, God, and guess what? They all say paid in full, and the list is completely clean, just as if I had never sinned. Good on you, First Plymouth Congregational Church of Lincoln, Nebraska. Over $500,000 raised to pay off medical bills, 500 households blessed, more than 10,000 people also blessed because they participated in the giving. See, that's the beauty of our faith in Christ. We serve others, but in serving others, we receive the blessings. As Jesus on that final night removed his outer garment, wrapped it around his waist and started washing the feet of the disciples, he basically said, you want to be the greatest in the kingdom? You need to be the servant of all. And can you imagine how good it felt for them to take turns washing each other's feet in those days after he left the earth and the Holy Spirit came to comfort them? That is good news indeed, and that is the bottom line. Hope you have a blessed weekend.